We're in First John. We've got like two more weeks, and then we'll finish her up before Easter. So <clears throat> we're zipping through. Uh, this morning we're in First John 5, so last chapter of First John. Uh, a number of themes that John has mentioned kind of throughout the book, and as we get to the end, he's going to start wrapping stuff up and tying it in neat little bows for us. So uh, that's kind of where we're headed. So some of the themes that we've talked about you're going to see come up, and he's going to try to bring some of them together a little bit. So this morning you're going to see this idea of, of truth and love being kind of combined together and how it produces or should produce in our lives obedience. And so uh, John's going to try to, to do that. Um, he, he's talked in the whole book about marks, about birthmarks, if you will. What does it look like to be a believer? Um, I don't know how many of you have a birthmark. Um, I, I do. I actually have two birthmarks. Uh, one of them is I have a gray spot on the top of my head um, that I've had since I was a little kid. Every barber I ever went to as a child cut it out, and it just kept growing back. Uh, and then I have a mole on my ankle. That, that and, it, and Jimmy has the, who, which one of them? Okay, yeah, Jimmy and I have the same spot on our back. Uh, it's a mole. I don't know. Um, and then there's no question he's mine. But anyway, uh, as, as we, <laughs> as we uh, uh, you know, as we grow, it, it's something that makes us unique. It's something that makes us different. It's a way to, if you will, identify us. And so one of the things that John does in this book is he talks about the birthmarks that a believer possesses. And so John's dealt a lot with some of those birthmarks and, and, and what they look like. So he's kind of laid them out for us. He's talked about the idea that a, a believer, one of the marks is that they practice righteousness, that they, they do what's right. He's talked about the idea that they, they don't practice sin. Um, sin is something that they work to stay away from, not to embrace. He's talked about the idea that they love other Christians. That love is a defining mark. In fact, to his disciples, he said, by this people will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. Uh, he talks about the idea this morning, and we're going to see this about overcoming. That one of the marks of a believer is he can be victorious. He can overcome. And so you, you've seen that, and he's going to hit one more um, at the end of, the, of, of this chapter. But he's talked about these ideas, and he's talked about these ideas that what you do... And what you say have to match. And so John's constantly confronted this idea with, with if a man says, I love God, but he hates his brother, then he's lying. If a man says that I love God, but he walks in, 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 in sin and unrighteousness, then he's lying. So John's really bold about the idea of if you're going to say this, then you better be doing this. And he links that world of what you say and what you do. He links that world of what you say about that spiritual life with what you do in the physical life. And he brings those two crashing together all of the time. And you're going to see that even again this morning. So let's look at 1 John 5, and then we'll break it down and walk through it. Here's what he says. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born, and that's a key word, of God. And anyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. For anyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. 
Who is he that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So he lays this out here. First of all, he talks about this thing, right? Let's take verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone loves the Father, loves his child as well. It's interesting. John here talks about this idea of belief. And uh, follow me here for a second, and, and I'll try not to lose you. But belief, or faith, is what we would call it, is a condition for salvation. You get that? In other words, if, if I'm going to be a saved, if I'm going to put my faith and trust in Christ, I have to believe, I have to put my faith in Christ. Everybody get that? It's by faith alone. Okay? God's grace offered to us through faith alone. We put our faith and trust in Christ. But it also, not only is it a condition for salvation, but it is also a way then that we live out our Christian life. See, see, faith is not something that you just have one time, you put your faith and trust in Christ, and then you're done with the whole faith thing. Faith says, I'm going to believe what God says about me as a sinner. I'm going to believe what God says about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ paying for my sin. And I'm going to trust that Jesus Christ has paid the way, and I'm trusting him for my salvation. I'm going to have faith and believe in that. That also now gives me the ability and, and, and the way now that I live out my Christian life. What happens now is, in the same way that I put my faith in Christ, I now live out my faith. How do I live out my faith? I come to an issue and I say, what does the Bible say? Okay? If that's what God says I should do, then I'm going to trust that he knows what's best, and by faith, I'm going to do that. By faith, I'm going to love other people, even though I don't want to love them. Why? Because God says I love them. So I've just got to say, God, you've got to help me do this. So, God, I'm trusting you to help me love them because I, in my, I, I just don't want to do it because they're, like, mean and cruel and all of these things that we come up with. By faith, I trust in Christ, and by faith, I live out my Christian life. That's what John's saying. He's saying those who, everyone who believes that Jesus Christ is born of God, he says, when you put your faith and trust in Christ, what happened? What does the verse say? You were born of who? God. So that makes you what? God's child. Exactly. Got it? So I'm now God's child. So here's what he says. If you're God's child, what does that mean? It means that you love the Father and you love his children. Okay, let me help you illustrate this. Okay, uh, Alex, Josh's fiance now. Uh, jo- Alex, all right, let's talk about it. If, if I met Alex on the street, Alex is a nice girl, like her and everything else, but I'm not going to love her, Alex. Just because I just don't have that much in common with her. I mean, you know, she's a nice girl and everything, but, you know, um, I, 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 I'm fairly limited in who I love. Um, as a part of our family. But I do love Josh because Josh is my son. Now, Josh has searched creation high and low and found the one woman 
who he said, I love this woman so much that if you have not seen Bill Cosby's routine on this, you have to watch it if you can ever see it. But Bill Cosby says it best this way. He says, we look at someone and he says, I love you so much that I want to spend my life with you. He said, you know what you're really saying? I love you so much, I want you to watch me die. <laughs> That's his concept. That's really what you're saying. You're saying, I love you so much, when I take my last breath, I want you to be there. Um, I want to spend my life with you. And so that, that's the concept that he, he taught. Anyway, this, it's a great little routine that he does. But anyway, because um, the whole routine is your wife is not your friend. That's the whole routine. And I agree with him. All right? When you listen to him explain it, you will agree with him too. Okay? Uh, but anyway, because he says, I can't do the routine. Anyway, all right, here we go. So here's the idea. Josh said, out of all these girls, I love Alexandra. I love Alexandra. Because I love Josh, and he's part of my family, and Josh has now said, Alexandra, I want you to be my wife, guess who I love now? Alexandra. Under no other circumstances would I have the relationship with her now short of my son loving her. That's what John's saying. He's saying, look, if you put your faith and trust in God, you're born in God's family. So naturally, you're going to love God, and you're going to love everybody who's in that family. That's, that's what we do, because that's who we are. That's what family is about. And so John lays this out for us, that that's our responsibility. You believe in God, you're born of God. If you're born of God, you're going to love God, and you're going to love God's family. He said, that's the way it plays out. In this situation, honestly, we love Alex like a daughter. And at times, it's like a toss-up between her and Josh. There are moments that I'll take her over Josh any day. Uh, you know, I mean, it's a, I love my kid, but I, I mean, we love her really like a daughter. And so, that, but the issue is, outside of her relationship with Josh, that wouldn't have happened. Why? Because she is part of the family now. And, and we, and we kind of look at her that way. That's what John's saying. When you and I put our faith and trust in Christ, we're part of God's family. We're part of God's family. We're going to love God, and we're going to love the other children of God. And then he goes on. Notice what he says. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. Now he takes that issue of obedience, and he says, if you love God, then you are going to want to obey God. Why? Because he's your father, and you want to please your father. You, you want to do the things that make your father happy. Why? Because you love your father. That's, that's what you do. And again, I'm going to go back to this illustration with, with Alex. Because we love Alex, well, because we love Josh, we love Alex, and because we love Alex, therefore, we want to learn things that are important to Alex. Okay? We are a shooting family. We like to shoot things. Okay? We're also a little bit bizarre in that we like to shoot things that blow up. But we like to shoot things. That's our thing. All right? Um, Alex likes to shoot too, but Alex really is, uh, she likes to hunt bow and arrow. Uh, turkey is her thing. So we don't have any bows and arrows at the house. So this summer... 
Yet. Yeah, you're, exa- you're exactly right. You're on it. You're on You'll follow him. Yet. Why? Because this summer, Alex, on our schedule this summer is I'm going to put up an archery range at the back of my house, and Alex is going to come over, and she's going to teach us all how to shoot archery. Why? Because that's important to her, and we love her. So we're going to learn something about things that are important to her. And same way, she's starting to learn things that are important to us. Josh, she knows that Josh and I love stained glass. So she's starting to learn now about glass. And so we've taught her how to cut glass, and we've taught her how to do stuff. So why? There's that reciprocal relationship because of the love situation. So we tried to learn some things from her and, and, and things that she enjoys, and she tries to learn stuff from us on things we enjoy. It's the same way with God. John says, look, if you're going to love God, then you're going to want to please him and find out things that are important to him and do those. And you're going to want to keep his commands. And he goes on. Notice what he says. For this is love for God to obey his commands. And now here's the kicker. And his commands are not what? Burdensome. This is where a lot of Christianity gets it wrong. A person comes to Christ and one of the first things we do is start telling them all the things they can and can't do. That's not Christianity. Christianity has a lot of things that we can and can't do, but the purpose behind doing them is to please God, not become a burden to us. I'll give you an example. When I got married 30-some-odd years ago, uh, we got married, and I said, basically, I'm committing my life to you. I'm committed to you and you alone. That's my commitment to you. Um, How does that go? Faithful to you as long as we long, both shall, as long as we both shall live, something like that. It's something like that. But you know what I'm talking about. I committed to her. Okay. Now, can you imagine if I got up every morning and said, "This is so hard. There are so many other women that I want to date, and I'm depriving them of the experience of getting to know me, and it is so burdensome." to be married to her and limited to her only. No. I, I tell you what, I'm on as, as honest as I could. I don't think you could give me enough money to go back into the dating scene. If she passes away, I just don't know that I want to try even try another. I mean, look, I got lucky the first time. I don't know that I could do it twice, you know. You know, you don't win the lottery twice very often. So I think I'll just take my chances. I don't know, I'm just saying. But, but my issue is I don't think of being committed to her alone as burdensome. Why? Because I love her. God says don't do it. I love God. Seems like a no-brainer. It's not burdensome to me. And when I hear Christians that go, you know, the Christian life's just so hard because there's all these things I can't do. It bothers me. Augustine, who's a, who, you're going all the way back, like close to first century kind of stuff, Augustine said it this way, um, love and do as you please. You know what Augustine was saying? Because when I read that, I thought, Augustine, man, I've read some of your stuff. That's like crazy. That sounds really odd for you to say. But the more I studied it, the more I dived into it a little bit. You know what he's saying? He's saying when you love God, when you really, really love God, 
you can do anything you please. Because the only thing that pleases you is to please him. You're not limited at all. And so my, my admonition to you would be, when you really understand the Christian life, it is not a life of things I can't do. It's a life of it gives me an incredible amount of freedom to only do things that are going to help me in the end. Look, there is no problems with me loving her and her alone. There is an incredible freedom that comes with that. Like I say, I would not want to, you know, I, I pray for kids who are, who are dating and all of that. Let me say this, by the way, okay, a little rabbit trail, but this is fresh in our life. This is fresh, and I was reminded of it Thursday night at the Red Cross thing. Um, where we were all sitting there together, and, and Josh and Alex were there, and Jimmy and Aaron were there, and we were there. And one of the ladies came up who has known us for a long time. And she's known us through Gene teaching at school. And she came up, and we introduced. We said, you know, this is Josh's girlfriend. This is Jimmy's wife and everything else. And she, and, and she made this comment. She said, look, she says, I don't know anything about you two girls. She said, but here's what I do know. You have been prayed for since these children were born. They have prayed about the right girl for these boys from day one. She said, that's all I know about you two. She said, and that's enough for me to know. And I would say this to those of you that have little children. You start praying now about their future, their mate, their direction, their, their goals, their plans. You make that, those of you who are grandparents, you need to pray for your grandkids every single week for those kinds of things. Because one of the things, and, and you, know, you will hear me say it at, at their wedding, as I did at Jimmy's, these girls are an answer to 20-some-odd years of praying. Um, and as Jean said, <laughs> told Alex the other day, you need to know there's a lot of girls I prayed away. <laughs> he said, she said, you're one that I decided to pray that we keep. She told her, and she was flat-out honest. I know, you know, I know. She said, you know, I prayed you in. The others I prayed out, you know. And we've told, we, and we've told um, Aaron the same thing. I, but, I mean, honestly, it, it's one of those things where, you know, you, you bathe him in prayer that way, and you understand. He says, look, it's, it's not a burden. It's not a burden to live the Christian life if you really want to please the Father. And you do that, if you really love him, then you want to please him. But if you want to please him, you take the things that are, that are important, and you do the things that he says are important. And then notice what he says this way. At the end of it, he said, um, and everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcome the world, even literally it's supposed to be the faith. Who is the one, who is he that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, we don't see this in English, but let me, let me read it. Let me read you a different paraphrase of it that might be a little bit closer because it's a play on words, actually. Everyone born of God conquers the world. And this is the conquering that has conquered the world, our faith, our Father. He says, you know what? If you're a believer, you're an overcomer. You know why you're an overcomer? Because your Father overcame Satan. And he's in you. And so what that means is the world, can't, the world shouldn't win anymore. Because you 
He defines you. Not will be an overcomer, as an overcomer, as one who overcomes. And that's what he said. He said, <clears throat> even our faith. That's the victory that has overcome the world. Uh, some of you who are longtime believers and, and you like, like Revelation and end times and stuff like that, go through the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 or 3, wherever that is, um, in the beginning of Revelation. Notice how many times overcomer. There's an overcomer. There is a reward for an overcomer listed in every one of those seven churches. And it's a fascinating study about what is given to people who overcome. And you can easily make the parallel. Those are all the things that are offered to us that, that we don't experience the second death, that we, uh, our names are written in the book of life, that we sit on the throne with Jesus. I mean, it's, it's amazing. But John here says, you know what? Let me tell you something about you if you're a believer. You're an overcomer. Whatever it is you're struggling with right now, you can overcome it. Whatever it is that you're frustrated with right now, you can overcome it. Whatever it is that's kind of gripped your life right now, you can overcome it. Not maybe be able to, can. In fact, as God looks at it as, it's already happened. You just haven't realized it yet. You're limiting yourself. I'm reminded of this because Jimmy and Aaron are gone to um, meet some friends in Des Moines this weekend. Josh and Alex are out in Kearney, and so Gene and I are dog-sitting this weekend. And we have three dogs at the house. Poor Trixie, who's like 14 years old now, just kind of looks at it and goes, oh, not again. Um, but yesterday I thought was so funny because we're sitting there yesterday afternoon, and I look out, and, and Jimmy's dog is an um, Australian cattle dog. It's a red something that's an Australian cattle dog. Okay, huh? Yeah, you guys who are dog people, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, I looked at this dog yesterday, and here's this dog. It's sitting on my front porch, staring across the road at hundreds of cattle that are in the field. And it's sitting there going, what am I supposed to do? Uh, it didn't know what to do. It's been raised in the city. It still thinks it's an indoor dog. Well, at our house, rule is, We'll probably change it for grandkids, but for dogs, they stay outside, okay? Dogs stay outside, as we don't have indoor dogs. Um, I know, it's a bit, we just don't. And so, and Jimmy's and Josh's dog are inside dogs, so they kind of come to, they, 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 they don't understand the concept of you're not coming in this house. So, you know, Jimmy's dog just kind of sits at the door most of the day, or stares at the window, or tries, you know, it's like... You're not coming in, you know. It, it doesn't happen, you know. So we will change it for grandkids. But for our dogs, dogs, that's what we're doing. So anyway, so this dog is sitting there on the porch just staring at these hundreds of cattle, watching them, going. <laughs> I, know, I know what he's thinking. He's going, man, if I could just get across that road. But I'm convinced he wouldn't know what to do. So, uh, oh, you would, oh, dog people are going, yes, he would. He'd probably get kicked. But anyway, he, 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 he's just sitting there wondering. And I thought, you know what? I think that's like a lot of Christians. You kind of sit there staring across the road knowing that God says you can overcome, you can have victory, you can win this thing, you can go forward, you can move on, but you sit there because you really just don't know what to do. And I've often thought, 
I don't own the cattle, so I really can't do this. But I've often thought about taking the dog over and going, run, baby, run. You know, you know, go, design, go do what you were designed to do. Uh, but it's not my dog and they're not my cattle, so that's kind of a big issue. Uh, but I, I just, I, as I sat there thinking, about it, I thought, you know, how, many, how often is that with us like Christians? We just kind of sit there going, man, I don't know what to do, but it looks so good over there. I know I can have victory. I know I can get it. I know we can, I know we can get our finances under control. I, I know we, we can work this through this struggle in our marriage. I know we can work through this with our kids. I know we can come out on top of this. I know this can be a good thing for us, but we just sit there going, man, I don't know what to do, paralyzed. John says, no, you don't understand. When you're a believer, you're an overcomer. You have every tool you need to overcome. But if you sit there and do nothing about it, then you stay paralyzed. And John says, look, this is the victory that overcomes us, even our faith. Who is he that overcomes the world? The person who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You have the ability to do it. So a couple of takeaways, and then we're done. First takeaway is this. Understand, folks, look, real faith impacts how you live. And I would add this to it. And you're obedient. And you're obedient. Um, let me give you a quick theology here, and, 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 and I don't want to offend anybody, but I'm going to probably because you're going to take it wrong. But I'm not trying to get this wrong, okay? I think how you make decisions is very important, Right? Just like I was talking to the kids. How you picked your first bracket determines a lot down the line. I think there are two major ways that we make decisions. Some of us make it with our heads. Some of us make it with our hearts. I think you need to figure out what that process is for you. For me, what I have learned is, and again, it's part of my personality. My personality is I'm one of those type A, high-maintenance, you know, logical, orderly, all those kind of things. So for me, most decisions for me are made with my head. And then heart comes into play, and then hands work it out. Okay? As an example, let me give you an example. <clears throat> this afternoon, when we go home from church, um, Gene and I yesterday, we said, hey, what are we, the kids aren't over, what are we going to have to eat? Okay? So my head runs through a whole bunch of things. I don't want to go out to eat because it's expensive and crowded and I'm tired and grumpy. I don't want to go out to eat. I have lots of food in the house. I got freezers full of stuff. So my head says, let's eat at home. So then the next question comes down to, what do we eat? And my head says, you got steak, you got hamburger, you got pork, you got chicken, you got fish. I'm not a big fish person. I'm, I, I like it to have legs and walk, right? And a lobster is a borderline animal, but they, he's close. But, um, so I'm not sure about the things. And we do, we had, we had somebody give us a lot of like really high-end great seafood, and it's phenomenal for seafood people. But, so we've got a lot of seafood, too. And so I look at my wife and I say, what would you like? Why? Because now I have shifted to my heart saying, I love this woman. I want to make this woman happy. I want to cook a nice meal for this woman. I want to make this one happy. And my woman says, what? 
Let's have fish. So my head says, you got to get out of this. So my head says, yeah, but the recipe that I used, I don't know if I still have it. And my wife says, I got it. So now I'm stuck between my head and my heart. And so, knowing that I love my wife, I go downstairs and get out red drum fillets. And the recipe, she's going to get the recipe for me, for for the way that I seasoned it. And I'm going to go home today, and my hands are going to make blackened red drum fillets is what my hands are going to do, okay? Now, that's how I make a decision. But the decision was started way back here, primarily in my head. There are other people who you are driven primarily by your heart. And so you wouldn't go through that whole process at all. You would look at your spouse and go, what will make you happy? What do you want? And whatever, if they said, go to a five-star restaurant, you'd go to a five-star restaurant. Your head wouldn't go, can we afford it? Because your heart's driving it. Make that, does that make sense? Everybody see what I'm saying? Here's what I see in Christianity. Often, I think, again, this is there, this is, there's some debate on this theologically, but I believe God primarily starts working in our heads. I believe the battle for sin, the battle for a consistent Christian walk starts in our heads. And then we are to respond with our hands. I believe if I ever have to choose between heart and head, I always choose head. Other people believe that heart should play a big part of the decision. And they are driven by heart. Now, the people who are driven by their heads, primarily in decisions, okay, they're great decision makers. Cut dry. They're lousy people people. Okay? They're not the kind of people you want in charge of something when you're dealing with a lot of feelings and a lot of emotions. So consequently, I rely on my wife a lot for that kind of stuff. Okay? And so that's how we do, how the decision making. So there are times that my kids will ask me something, I'll be, and then when the kids leave, my wife goes, you're way too hard on them. You need to think about this, and it's like, oh, okay. She's right, but, you know, I need that side of me. I need that side. I say this because I say, here's what happens in Christianity. Here's what I see. When Satan tempts us, I believe Satan primarily tempts us in the area of heart, not head. Because if we ever stop and say, what does God say? Then we find ourselves often making the right decision. But let me, let, let me flesh it out practically for you, okay? All right, so let's say that, um, okay, Mag, you're in the front. Sorry, but, okay. Let's say that I have a problem. I don't love Mag. Mag I know Mag's a sister in Christ. I'm a brother in Christ. I don't love Mag. I don't like Mag. I don't want to talk to Mag. I don't want anything to do with Mag, Okay. My head says, lover, what should I do? 
What should I do? Help me out. What should I do? I should love her, and I should treat her as a sister in Christ, and I'm showing my love to her, right? That's what I should do. But you know what my heart comes in and does? My heart comes in and says, yeah, but. She did this, and she said that, and she's ugly towards you, and she'll never accept your love. And here's the biggie. This is, I think this is one of Satan's great big tools. If you love her in your head, but your heart doesn't want to, you're a hypocrite. And you don't want to be a hypocrite. So here's the flip side of that argument. You are better to not be a hypocrite and be disobedient to God. Because at least you're not a hypocrite. See how this plays out? And God says, love her. Period. Why? Because you know what God did to us? Loved us. Period. He didn't look at how we responded. didn't look what we did. He didn't look whether we give him love back. He, he said, God so loved the world that he gave. He loved us. And that, what I'm saying for you is I think some of you might be struggling because what you have done is you are excusing things because of the emotions of it instead of being obedient with it with your head and doing what God says. So all of a sudden you go, yeah, I know I'm not supposed to do that, but you don't understand my situation. Yes, 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 yes. I know we shouldn't have bought that and put it on credit because we didn't have enough money. But you don't understand how badly we needed it. No, I don't. But I know a little bit from history and from experience about getting yourself in over your head financially. To know that that's a pretty incredible kind of bondage and burden that you want to put on yourself. Is this making sense? See? Think about it for a minute. A lot of the, 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 the purchases that we make, how many of them are driven by head, how many of them are driven by heart? You know. Again, huh? I mean, my wife, you know, we got a new car. First time, uh, we got a new car last year. First time I've ever put seat warmers in a car. My wife said, if there's one thing I'm going to have, I mean, seat warmers in a car. You know what my head said? That's the dumbest thing in the world. After being, huh? After being in winter with seat warmers? You know what my head says now? Spend the 400 bucks, man. Because <laughs> my experience has shown otherwise now. You know? But, I mean, really, you know, how often are, does our head drive it versus our heart driving it? And God says, look, I want you, if you're my child, you're going to please me, and if you please me, you're going to please me with your whole heart, and you're going to be obedient, and you're going to do what I say, even if your heart doesn't want to or doesn't think it should. Just be obedient. Case in point, I, 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 I end with this Bible story, Jonah. The greatest revival in all of the Old Testament was preached by a guy by the name of Jonah. When you study the book of Jonah, here's what you'll find. Jonah's heart was far from God. 
Jonah's heart didn't want to see any of them saved. Jonah literally went into the town and preached the shortest possible sermon he could preach and still be obedient to God. Eight words in Hebrew. God said, I want you to go and I want you to reach a whole city. Jonah was so ticked because the Ninevites were such enemies and did such horrid things. He wanted them all destroyed. So Jonah finally, coming out of the fish, walks into the city, preaches an eight-word message, walks out of the city, sits on a hillside and says, okay, God, wipe them out. I'm ready. Greatest revival in the Old Testament is preached by him. Why? Because Jonah's heart's in it? No, because Jonah was obedient. Because Jonah was obedient. And God says, look, I want you, if you're going to be my child, I want you to be obedient. I want you to do things I ask you. And I want you to be an overcomer. I want you to get past stuff. Don't want you to get stuck. Uh, anybody ever heard of trafo data? Anybody ever heard of trafo data? Trafo data was a company that was uh, a software that was actually developed by a man. And he worked really hard to develop it. He took it to a to actually on the day that he was supposed to sell it, he took it to the place to sell it, and he couldn't get it to work. So there he is. He's finally got a buyer for it. The buyer looks at it, and they can't get the software to work. It was supposed to read like traffic tapes and be able to compile the data and all that kind of thing. The guy didn't let him get, it, get, get, get him down. He just felt like, okay, I'm going to learn it. He learned a number of things from that lesson. He went on to start another company. Maybe you've heard of it, Microsoft. Bill Gates' first software that he had designed and tried to sell was a total, absolute failure. Anybody ever heard of a guy by the name of Vincent Van Gogh? You know, Vincent Van Gogh in his lifetime painted over 900 paintings. Do you know how many he was actually able to sell in his lifetime? One. One. You know, um, some of you, Jim Carrey. Anybody know Jim Carrey's backstory? 15 years old. Quit school to help support his family. Literally was homeless, slept in the back of a van. He wasn't going to let his circumstances, his situation, that kind of thing. Steven Spielberg? Steven Spielberg applied to USC, was turned down twice to get into college there. 1994, they gave Steven Spielberg an honorary doctorate. A couple years later, made him a trustee of USC. Why? He didn't give up. He didn't quit. He didn't think, they, they didn't use their circumstances or situations or dilemmas or whatever to um, keep, keep them down. Stephen King, I'm not a fan of his writing. In fact, I've never read any of his writing. I just know his, his movies and stuff like that. Um, you know, his first novel was rejected 30 times. But he didn't let him. He decided he was going to keep going. Listen to me. Whatever it is, God said, if you're a believer, you're an overcomer. If you're a believer, you can get past whatever it is that's got you stuck. You don't have to sit on the porch and wonder, what's it like over there? And that's my challenge to you. John said this. I close with this. John wants us to have the assurance of our salvation. He wants us to understand that real faith is based on truth and love. And when we're really honest about believing God and following God, and loving God, then it produces a life of obedience and a life of victory. And that's what he wants for everyone sitting here this morning that put their faith in trust of Christ. There's no reason to live any other way. Because you don't have to. Let's pray. Lord, help us.
God, it's so easy for us to let stuff get us sidetracked and over, overtake our lives and get us stuck and get us convinced that we can't get past it. <clears throat> the Lord, help us in that struggle, in that thing that we've got that we keep bumping up against, Lord, would you help us to get past it? Or would you help us to realize that we have the ability to overcome? And Lord, as we look at our lives, Lord, may we obey. Lord, with our head, and God, with our heart, but if we ever have to make a choice, Lord, may we be obedient no matter what. And God, for those who maybe have had a taste of Christianity where your burdens are cumbersome, would you help them to realize that, Lord, that's not the way you intend it to be? And that they would be able to love you, serve you, follow you with their, with their life. And, Lord, it not be a burden, but rather, Lord, be an incredible blessing. And we'll thank you for the time. These things we ask in your name. Amen.